Hi everyone! We can't believe it is already the final episode of our second season. Thank you so much to all of you for listening to this podcast and supporting our work. It really means a lot to us. Today, we're joined by Dr. Chiara Haider, founder and CEO of BrightCure, a biotech company developing next-generation microbiome femcare for women who suffer from urinary tract infections. Chiara holds a PhD in chemical engineering and was the founder of Women in STEM at Imperial College. In this episode, we dive into how Chiara came to found BrightCure, her personal experience with urinary tract infections, and what starting your own business really is like. We also touch on some of the taboos around vaginal health and female intimate care, and why increasing awareness about these issues is so important. So without further ado, sit back and enjoy this episode with Chiara. Okay, so uh, hi Chiara, thank you so much for coming today. <laughs> um, before we dive into your work and role, can you give our listeners some background about yourself? Yeah, my name is Chiara. I am German, as you probably hear from my accent. I was born in uh, Berlin. Yeah, I have a scientific background, did my undergrads in kind of chemistry and then did my master's in chemical engineering and then moved to kind of bioengineering, synthetic biology and recently kind of completed my, my PhD at Imperial College. And then I really devoted myself to curing uh, urinary tract infections that I personally suffered from. So yeah, that's a bit about my background. Thank you. No, no, yeah, no, that's perfect. So because you said you founded BrightCure based on your personal experience, mm -hmm. can you maybe explain the listeners what is urinary tract infection and maybe more about like vaginal health as well? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, so I personally suffered a lot from like recurrent urinary tract infections. So these are basically bacteria infections, mostly caused by by bowel bacteria that you know transfer from the rectum and then because women have unfortunately a very short urinary tract. They, the bacteria very easily, in contrast to men, obviously, like get into the urinary tract and then cause an infection. Um, and it's a super, super painful infection because obviously also the, the bacteria, they replicate really, you know, quickly. And so obviously it becomes very quickly, it becomes very, very bad. And um, traditionally, these UTIs are normally treated with antibiotics because it's a bacterial infection. But obviously it's, it's it's very painful and um, and you're also bound to the toilet because you kind of just have to pee all the time so it's also not really a pleasant experience and also quite hard sometimes to to obviously then go outside and get help and so it's a very stressful um, kind of also a bit shameful experience for a lot of women and obviously always getting a prescription is not always so easy to do if you need to go to a GP and we all know you know how long you have to sometimes wait there and yeah and the antibiotic resistance is really really high in, in, in the UTI space so 35 25 to 35% of, of the patients who are treated according to the guidelines actually fail treatment because of resistance issues And the diagnosis is often also not so precise. So a lot of women, basically like me, actually by the age of 32, it's like every second woman gets a UTI. And then it's very easy because of the diagnosis problems and, and, and also because of the antibiotic resistance that a lot of women basically end up in a cycle where they constantly get these infections and constantly take antibiotics. And then, as we all know, that's obviously super dangerous and harmful because you, you suffer from a lot of side effects. And then obviously also destroy not only your whole gut health, but also like destroy your whole vaginal microbiome. So basically all the good bacteria which normally live in your vagina and actually protect you 
by lowering the pH and producing lactic acid, they basically die as well. So the more antibiotics you take in order to basically treat or prevent also even these infections, the more you then also are prone to getting them. And so I suffered from this personally really badly. I had up to like nine infections per year. Yeah, while I was doing my PhD and also actually a lot of my colleagues and, and even professors I knew suffered from this. And then they put me on prophylactic antibiotics, which is kind of general practice. And I also, I got vaccinated. So I tried, I mean, all alternatives, which are normally not really proven to be effective, unfortunately. And there's really a lack of research in the space. And then I thought when I was finishing up my PhD, why do I not try to develop something that is much more sustainable, localized, effective to basically prevent and, and cure these infections? And then, yeah, basically found a bright cure, got the initial investment. And uh, yeah, here I am. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, what a great story. <laughs> uh, yeah, as you say, unfortunately, that's how life treated you, but how you took this opportunity to create something. Yeah. Um, so that is that is really impressive. So uh, Bright Cure, as you now mentioned it as well. So um, it's a company focused on, on women. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so initially, yes, it's a platform technology, though. So it's it's based on a on an organism um, that basically fights harmful bacteria and can also fight uh, antibiotic resistant bacteria. So obviously, as you can imagine, there are a lot of other exciting applications. But initially, we are targeting um, the female health space and specifically like uh, developing vaginal microbiome products for women who are suffering from these recurrent yeah, urinary tract and kind of intimate infections, yeah. So you mentioned like other applications for this technology. Mm -hmm. Like where could you apply it other than, you know, vaginal health and intimate yeah. infections? Yeah, for example, I mean, antibiotic resistance is, is big, right? And it's in so many different fields. I mean, from, from animal health, like how we feed animals to, you know, to even other therapeutic applications as well. With ours, is, is obviously, so it's a topical application. So we are going down the cosmetic microbiome pathway. But then um, if you go into food supplements, you can develop, you know, a whole range there as well. Also more invasive therapies. And when you go to, I mean, and for example, if you relate this to, UTIs like cystoscopies where they even go in with the instruments where you get a lot of bacteria in which then cause these really even chronic you know UTIs where you get some really nasty bugs into the bladder um, and that's quite common as well then also for men when they're older and they have prostate issues or cancer related problems so yeah so there are a lot of like different applications but obviously they also require different regulatory pathways and therefore also a bit of like different funding backgrounds. So our idea is really to now verify this technology, prove this technology in a in an application where it is basically really needed and also which is really close to my heart and where antibiotic resistance is very, very common. And then look into how we can either with partners via cross-promotional, you know, partnerships, joint ventures or even licensing opportunities maybe up into kind of other fields um, where our technology could could be good really interesting great. yeah <laughs> that is yeah really great so yeah a bit more personal maybe um did you find it hard talking about this topic because sometimes it's still like a taboo topic um, oh yeah totally I mean it's totally like a taboo topic and it's really interesting how you know when you start talking about it personally how then suddenly a lot of people are like oh yeah oh yeah I suffer from this too so um but obviously it's not the most sexy way you know to start a conversation <laughs> talking about you know UTIs and I think also the problem is that there are obviously a lot of myths around it right one of the most common 
menopauses, especially for, I mean, yeah, pre-menopausal women is uh, sexual intercourse. So a lot of people say, oh, you know, you have crazy sexual practices or something, which is absolutely, I mean, not true. Or people, you know, relate this, and this was the whole femme fresh trend where people say, oh, you know, you have like a dirty vagina or something, or like a smelly, dirty vagina, and that's why you have the bacteria there. And this is also not true, but because it's related or people think, you know, have these kind of myths, these stupid things in their mind, you know, then obviously a lot of women are afraid to speak out about it because they think, oh, maybe this person now thinks I'm like, I'm some crazy sex person or I'm like not clean or I don't wash myself or, and then I have to say that actually quite, surprisingly and the stories are all the same because I mean I know so many women who suffered from this and I, I am as you can personally see very open about it I've been to so many urologists and most of the urologists are also male right I think 19 percent I think in, in the U.S. is even crazy I think in, in the U.S. only eight percent of urologists are, are women uh, the rest is men so obviously during the time when they practice they have mostly not experienced a UTI so they also don't understand like the pain point around it a lot of them and it's really difficult obviously to relate until you've actually experienced this and I heard things like you know it's in my head or I don't know how I bite myself like you know do you do you know like because a lot of people then say oh you know you should not wipe yourself from the back to the front and I'm like yeah you know I'm like not two years old like I know how to wipe myself and so but it's crazy things you know people ask you literally like I've been asked that several times so I think there are a lot of like misconceptions and stuff around this topic and therefore also you know people are even more afraid to talk about it but I think that's also part of you know what we want to do as well with this company is kind of to just open up the conversation around it for the women who want to talk about it obviously not everyone you know you know wants to talk about it but maybe it even helps them to hear about other stories and to hear even if they don't want to share it that you know they're not by themselves and to kind of raise awareness for this yeah what you're doing is so important because as you say like even if people don't really want to talk about it listening to people you know talking about the experience just as you do now that's just building awareness and that's what we need to do a lot of other topics usually relates to like women's health which are really taboo really hard to talk about and as you say like yeah. most of the doctors in these kind of fields are yeah are males i totally agree and also with the part of that you feel like or that women feel ashamed um it shouldn't be like this yeah and it's obviously also a circle you know because it's taboo to talk about it then you know people are not really aware of it then there's obviously a lack of innovation in the space it doesn't get enough research and then obviously there's then also a lot of you know misinformation miseducation obviously connected to that as well so it's kind of like a whole cycle in a way a whole vicious cycle and 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 because it's also so related to you know intimate health in a way and and and, and sexual relationships obviously this is also not if you start dating someone right it's not the first thing you say hey I suffer from UTIs like I need to shower I need to pee after we have sex you know like all of this it is a huge you know point it's a huge part of your life and it shouldn't be that way I think I mean we have a lot of women who are reaching out to us and we're sharing their experience and, and and all of this and it's great to 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 see that and to to hear that and to get that basically support as well because it one it also encourages one, you know, to, to to keep working harder and to try to progress faster so that we have a product sooner than later on the market. Great. So I wanted to ask you more about the business itself. So mm -hmm. how was the process of building it? You know, where did you start from? How did you build your team? Still at an early stage, but um, so far, I think it's definitely a steep learning curve when you start your own business. I think it's, it starts often, you know, you have this idea and then you... I initially had even a different idea. You know, it, for me, it really started with a problem. Um, and 
I think that's always a good way to start rather than with the solution where you try to find an application somehow for it. So with us, it really, or with me, it really started with a problem. I had a tr problem I really wanted to, to solve. That's also why we have to rebrand actually Bright Cure, because it's not going to be a cure product, it's actually going to be a care product in a way. And also, Bright was relating to an initial light idea I have. So this is actually not even related to the current technology. So I think it's all like an evolving process. You know, you talk with different people about it. Yeah, try to get feedback. And then on your way while you're doing this and, you know, I'm reaching out, I think you find and I was like, you know, calling people, reaching out on LinkedIn and, and emails and whatever and just talking to people about it. At some point, then it starts that, you know, you, you form some sort of like advisors or relationships with people. And then I was like finishing up my PhD. So obviously at that time, while I was in the lab, um, you know, it was still more about idea and getting feedback on the idea and refining the idea and refining my my concept and how I could bring this to market and so on and so forth. I mean, there's so many different thoughts, right? The regulatory aspect, the product, the technology, IP. I mean, there's so many things. And then when I was finishing basically up or writing up my, my PhD, I, I realized that I had something solid and valid. I thought that, you know, it was feasible in a way. And then I pretty soon realized that I needed to get funding for this, right? Because it is like a scientific idea and it's not going to come into practice unless I can somehow have some sort of proof of concept. So I realized I needed a lab and, you know, I needed equipment and I needed people to to, to help me. And and obviously that is not cheap, especially in, in, in science, which I think is one also one, it's, it's really difficult because if you have an idea um, and it's in the kind of, you know, microbiology, biotech world, it's obviously much more cost intense to, to prove that or to, to show some initial progress or results. And so I applied to, to IndieBio, which was this big, big biotech accelerator in the US. And then we got onto the program. We got some initial um, pre-seed investment from them, which was 200,000 US dollars in cash basically then allowed us initially we were supposed to um, also get a lab from them but then obviously COVID hit and then we couldn't you know we couldn't go so then we got the investment and we actually found a lab space in, in, in West London close to um, White City it's called Open Cell and Open Cell basically has quite some affordable lab space as well and they have equipment shared equipment which is obviously useful you know centrifuges and stuff you can share because otherwise your whole funding is gone you know when one refrigerated centrifuge is like 15k or something so it's, and it's funny because it makes you realize you know actually when you do your PhD and you have all this amazing equipment as Imperial for free and you just you know buy all the different kits and whatsoever and then suddenly you're like actually realizing oh my god this is all so expensive you know and maybe I need to work with a secondhand centrifuge and, and oh my god it's breaking apart and, and I think it's just especially at the beginning your team changes also really quickly because you know not everyone also obviously can take the risk you know not everyone is, is is meant to be in that in that startup world but now we are like a small team we we have our lab space and and, and things kind of evolve to be honest it's like a an ongoing very steep uh learning process which is very emotional with lots of ups and downs amazing story <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's so interesting it really is like yeah it it sounds I mean, it sounds a lot and I'm really impressed that you've come so far. Like how, how long would you say or what kind of time frame are we looking? Um, so I incorporated initially like right here in 2019. But that was basically, you know, as I said, light idea. That was not what I'm doing right now. Somehow at some point, 
I realized that doing something invasive because the light was initially invasive and like the regulatory pathway and a lot of people don't, obviously don't want to have invasive stuff because it's already super infected and like, you know, like and sensitive and so on. So pretty soon you realize, OK, is this actually going to work out? This is not really going to work out. And I think then in 2020, March or something, I got this initial investment from IndieBio where there's basically this new technology doing this new application. So I was doing that during the day. Then at night, I was basically writing my PhD and was kind of doing that in parallel. And I you know, um, hired a scientist, actually two at the beginning, one then left. You know, um, one person, Chanel, who's amazing, and she actually moved from Ireland to, to UK to, to kind of work together. Did a lot of like lab work, a lot of of concept efficacy testing collected like a lot of like data and results to basically file this patent and now it's really to to develop a scalable process which is beyond our capabilities you know in terms of like bioreactors and the scales and the expertise we need and so really transferring out the technology with this new investment and also rebranding the company yeah and then also verifying the product so you know with prototypes doing consumer testing and and really seeing if if what we see if the amazing results from the lab also translate you know, the same way to, to, to women in terms not only of from, from a scientific point, but obviously because we would do microbiome analysis and pig swaps and all of this, but obviously also from a on a symptomatic level, you know. But yeah, it's exciting. You learn you learn a lot definitely. I can imagine. Um but it yeah. sounds really exciting and also the for me the development is really interesting like how do you verify or like how are the next steps and so it's it's really good uh, to know because obviously I don't have too much experience in this so yeah, but I think what you you pretty soon also realize when you start talking to investors, you know, what are people looking for? Like, what do they want to see in order to, um, you know, what is important from a market aspect? Like, what do you need to find out in terms of, you know, how do you price the product? How do you bring the product to the market? Like, how do you sell it? Do you sell it by the website? Do you sell it by the pharmacy? Do you sell it by the retailers? If you sell it by the retailers, you know, they have specific margins. So how does then this affect, you know, the manufacturing and the scale up and so there's so many different, you know, aspects in it. And um, once you get involved, I mean, you you need to be quite structured because it's easy also to get lost, you know, in all these different things you need to do. And it helps to have people to remind you, okay, so you know, what is the next crucial point we need to focus on? Because otherwise you can, you know, you can be everywhere, but nowhere in a way. I'm literally like so impressed, like how you managed to finish writing your thesis while like during the day doing this I'm like how do you do it like it's just so much even also because you didn't have much background right in like everything business related and like entrepreneur related so that is also really impressive yeah I think you just need to I mean I think you just need to be open to also not always be you know the expert in the room and I think and, and just be willing to learn and ask and, and willing to ask stupid questions as well um, and, and honestly just reach out to people and ask them you know how have you done this how have you done that and, and don't feel ashamed that you might not know something or not an expert in something because you founded women in stem right at imperial so maybe if you can just speak a little bit about this sure yeah i was at the department of chemical engineering and i didn't even know how it originally all started but i um, was somehow introduced or went to an event in the Women's of Engineering Society. And I realized that actually, you know, there were a few women at, at engineering in our department, but I felt it was kind of a shame that there are a lot of these societies, but a lot of these societies are very focused on undergraduates, but nothing was really there for, you know, 
us PhD students in a way and kind of like connecting us and obviously also you know exploring the academic pathway in terms of you know how how are you going to become a professor and you know what is good to look out for and and, and things like this and like been also like exploring different I think career opportunities because I feel like a lot of people after you know their masters or their PhDs are, are quite lost you know it's very it's very like okay either you go into industry you stay in academia or you go to consulting and finance but there are so many more options and, and, and I thought you know this would be a great opportunity to kind of build something for women kind of a supportive network for female academics so not only something for undergrads but something for graduates and kind of build this female academic supporting network where women you know, can kind of support each other, mentor each other. And at the same time, we also do some career events where you can find out more what, what is out there and maybe also learn from from other pathways that women took as well. And so, yeah, and so I went to my supervisor and, and told her about it and about the idea. And she was uh, Cleo Contrati and she was really supportive. And also the head of the department was really supportive, um, Professor Nelly Shah, and he um, gave me some initial investment to basically kick off an event and to have some sort of funding to kind of start something and then yeah and I'm really happy it still exists and it's going so well and it's super exciting um I think that I left and I still see it kind of like blooming and um you know and they're doing events and obviously now with COVID unfortunately it's quite you know it's it's obviously tough because these events are quite great when everyone can just get together and you get to know also other women from other departments because you can also become so stuck right with your research and in your department and in your specific lab and stuff and so it's it's, it's kind of nice to also meet you know some some girls who are like in physics and I don't know some women from mechanical engineering and some in you know biochemistry and whatsoever so um yeah I totally agree. I did have um, another question, but this is maybe going a bit back to the business part um, or yeah, just sure. like in general. So you're as a female entrepreneur and um, mm -hmm. of being young, did you experience any obstacles? Obviously, like I'm a sole founder, which, you know, it's not always easy in a way because somehow, you know, when you get investors on board, it kind of creates often an imbalance and, and you know, people trying to take advantage of you and also it's difficult because you cannot always you know trust everyone as well you know everyone is there also for a specific reason I think especially also in the startup world you have a lot of like experts and a lot of like amazing advisors and then it you know it turns out that in it for some other interests yeah and I think it's definitely not easy you know um, especially also with with fundraising I mean it's known that you know it's more difficult as a woman to raise money because I think only one percent of, of uh, VC investment goes into female founded only businesses you know and also you know because this is obviously kind of like a taboo area as well to buy into the emotional story it's sometimes difficult for, for, for men I guess to also understand it like the pain point of it um, I mean some do obviously because they have children you know like they have daughters and they have wives um, if the wife talks to them about this even or they have you know mothers because obviously this affects the whole life cycle of women right from young girls to like women to like older the elderly even yes yeah, so I think definitely in terms of who to trust I think the fundraising is tricky but um, I'm not too focused on that to be honest I don't feel like oh no because I'm a woman I'm kind of like disadvantaged or something like I don't I don't so much think about this I'm just working and just like working hard and trying obviously as I as I haven't been on the other side in a way <laughs> you know it's it's difficult to know how much more difficult and tricky it is basically for me than it, it is for others you know I just try hard and keep going and if it works it works and yeah 
No, but that's what we want to hear, so that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, yeah, that's just so insightful and like really inspiring. So maybe I wanted to ask you like, what is the most important thing that you've learned so far, like throughout your journey up to where you're now? Well, the most important things. I think, you know, surround it's so difficult to just say it to once, but I think one point important point is, you know, it's really important to have, you know, advisors by your side. I think to also not be too afraid of, as I said, asking stupid questions or or also reading the documents into the details and stuff. So I think, you know, you also need to be aware of, of what you're signing and, and also I think when it comes to team building, it's super important to have, you know, the right people also with the right vibe around you and be resilient as well and give things a bit of time. Don't take things too personal. I think it's also important to stay realistic. Like I think a lot of people, you know, they want to do a startup because they want to do a startup. And I think that's or because they think they're the next Mark Zuckerberg overnight, you know, like this is not going to happen. Like it's super hard work. I haven't even paid myself from anything so far. All I, the whole money I, we have. I put into the science and, and, and paying our scientists or our partners as well. So, you know, it's um it's very high risk, quite low financial, I want to say financial reward. Yeah, but my biggest lesson, is, you know, learn fast, be adaptable, <laughs> be resilient. And I think that's that's actually, I think, something that, you know, you I think that's a great learning experience, a personal learning experience from your PhD is that, you know, it's, Sometimes you just feel like all oh, takes whatever and every experiment's failing and you're just like, oh my God, I'm going to kill myself with a stupid thing. And you feel you're banging like your head against the wall, like, you know, every day and stuff. You know, it might take the extra mile or it might take a different pathway than you initially thought, you know. And so, um, and I think actually the PhD is a great learning experience for this because you really, it's kind of like having your mini startup in a way, because obviously in a in a different financial surrounding because you don't have the financial stress about you know how am I going to finance this maybe you how am I going to finance my personal life this is not a lot of money you get to in your PhD uh, um, but um, you know it's kind of a mini project like you know no one really cares you have to work hard and you have to you know be motivated and you're the main person in this you know you have to believe in it and, and and build it and and it's the same with your phd in a way you know you have your project if you're not going into the lab tomorrow uh, you know your supervisor might not care but like you know if at, at the end you don't get the results and there's a problem so a lot of things are quite similar in a way yeah really i love that yeah because i see it in exactly the same way like for me yeah. I, I tell people like my PhD is like not even a startup, you know, it's like really entrepreneurial. And that's also why I did it, just because I have this mindset and I love creating things and, you yeah. know, working for myself, you know, not just having to be so dependent on others and being able to express my ideas through my work, just showing up for yourself and being resilient and being open-minded to things failing and just, yeah, taking like a different path and not being like emotionally attached to like a solution that you had exactly. that you really wanted to do and like actually what well, doesn't work it's okay you know <laughs> just take Definitely. another path yeah. that would be better so great that we like have the chance like we like we and you already had the chance to learn all these things during the phd because it really like even though it's really hard it prepares you so well for uh, the future <laughs> i yeah. think yeah yeah some people think somehow like you know as in different fields obviously that is a waste of time uh well like ask me why I did it but I actually I I would not regret it or like one second I think it is a great learning experience and I think also the whole thing of you know setting yourself goals and targets and timelines and stuff 
it's the same as well for a PhD, right? It's kind of a really structured project. You have like an overall aim, like project aim where you're aiming to go. And then you divide it up into different milestones that you're hoping to kind of like hit. And then you try different things in order to get there. You try and you learn and you ask others. And that's, I think, in a lot of ways, uh, quite, yeah, quite similar. It's, um, this is our signature question we ask all our guests and everybody is like, no. <laughs> But um, so our, our question we have is, what is your favorite word or quote and why? Oh, my favorite quote is, uh, I think it's a French one. It's like, le nom, on a déjà dans notre poche de vie, il nous reste à l'obtenir. It's probably terrible French now. But it's basically that, you know, you already have the no in your pocket, basically. And the yes is always there to aspire to get. So I think if you don't change the, the status quo in a way, you know, if you don't change the, the state of the arts in a way, um, you know, there's never going to be any progress. And, and, you know, and if other people tell you, oh, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, well, maybe it does. And maybe you find a different way of, of making it work, you know. So I think just not being too afraid of, of changing things or challenging things and challenging views and challenging yeah, the current status of things, I think, has been always interesting for me or inspiring for me in a way. Um, and I think that's also why I started different things, you know. I, now with the UTI space, I, I hope that I can also bring some positive change to the area. So I think, yeah, challenging, you know, current situations and being proactive in order to progress things, I think, is, is really important. Yeah, Amazing. No, that's perfect. Yeah, that's Thank a really great way this. to end it. Yeah, and I'm sure that <laughs> and I'm sure that yeah, you will bring so much like into the UTI space. So I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm just getting an audience to just like watch out for this because I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, great. sure. As soon as the pro uh, product on the market, so I will I will let you know. <laughs> yeah. So where can people find more about your work? Do you have like any social media platforms or things like that? Um, yeah, I mean, we have Instagram for Bright Cure. We also have the website, which is bcure.co.uk. Um, if you're interested in the product, they can sign up. We have like a waiting list for the product where a lot of women have already signed up. I mean, anyone, I'm always happy to answer questions. So feel free to share my email address. Also my LinkedIn, obviously. Um, anyone wants to contact me, very happy to. For them to get in touch amazing Great. Yeah. yeah we'll put all the links in the show notes so people can check that out oh well, <laughs> thank you so much Chiara that was it was such a great conversation <laughs> and it was yeah. so nice to find out more about uh like UTI and the background to, <laughs> to building it up uh so really interesting thanks yeah. so much yeah thanks so much thanks a lot thanks for having me Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Chiara as much as we did and learned more about UTIs, how they arise and why you should not be afraid to talk about them. Check out the show notes if you wish to learn more about Bright Cure and support Chiara's amazing work. We will now take a little break whilst we prepare for our next season, but please do reach out on social media to let us know your thoughts about the second season and what you would like to see more about in our platforms. If you wish to support our work, check out our link tree, where you can donate any amount of your choice. And as always, we would really appreciate it 
if you could rate and subscribe to this podcast, as well as share it around you, so that we can reach and empower more people to elevate their lives. See you very soon and hope you all have a lovely festive season. See you very soon and we hope you all have a lovely festive season. Mm-hmm.